0: Good morning, once again. It is so great to see you. I, I, how my people out in the hub doing this morning? How are you doing out there? All right, I can hear them out there a little bit. It's great to uh, to know that they're out there receiving from the Lord as well during our time of worship. I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you want your church to be like? What do you want your church to be like? Now I know you probably have some things that you'd like to put in there. Starbucks. I would like my church to be <laughs> a little more like Starbucks in the coffee. De- thank you, Tom. In the in the coffee department, you know, I'd like I you know ra- rather than GFS, which I love. I love. We got guys that work at GFS. I love GFS. Um, but I you know when I buy GFS, I'm just saying. Okay. Um, Would would you? How would you answer that question? What would you like your church to be like? I think it's something that we need to ask ourselves that question. What would you like your church to be like? Would you like it to be inclusive or exclusive? Would you like your church to be accepting or judgmental? Would you like your church to be impactful or impotent? Would you like your church to be community focused or isolated? Would you like your church to be advancing or maintaining? Would you like your church to be engaging or alienated? Forgiving or offended? Relational or disconnected? Energetic or lethargic? Would you like your church to be global or microscopic? Would you like your church to be weak or strong? Encouraging or discouraging? Triumphant or conquered? I think that's a really long sentence, but I think it's a legitimate question. What would you like your church to be? I'm going to guess that, that most of you um, are either like me or maybe you would say, I, you know what, I've never even thought about it. But if you have thought about it, I, I think most of you are like me and you want your church to make a huge impact in our community. Okay? Not, not, an, not an advertising impact. Okay, not that kind of impact. I'm, I'm talking about the impact that comes from people's lives being changed by the power of God. Okay, I, that kind of impact. I, I believe that, that you want to see that impact for the sake of the gospel we want our church to be moving forward and engaging our community. We want it to be energized. We want it to be relational. We want it to be a global source of encouragement. I, that's the thing that just it just blows me away about the church, that we can impact people so far from this one location. We have that ability to do that. I believe that, that you're like me. You want... This church, Jesus Church, okay? And this just happens to be the one that's at 219 Silver Creek Road. That we want it to be a triumphant church. Amen? Amen. But simply wanting something is not going to get it done. Do you know what I mean? Uh, That is something that it's going to take a little more than just a desire or or little more than just just wanting something to be. It's going to take some work, it's going to take some effort in order for that to begin to happen and take place in our community, in this particular church. Um, the Bible talks about the church specifically being victorious. It talks about the church being uh, being so much more than than maybe we even imagine, but it talks about the church being powerful. It talks about the church being triumphant. It talks about the church being without spot or wrinkle. It talks about the church being caring it talks about the church being connected it talks about the church being loving and i believe that that god has created the church and he has commissioned her to be a victorious church so the question is how can silver creek church and that's just all that is is a location okay it's just a specific group of people in in the overall body of Christ, how can we be inclusive? How can we be accepting, impactful, community-focused? How can we be advancing, engaging, forgiving, relational, energized? Uh, How can we be global, strong, encouraging, and triumphant? How can we be all of those things? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said this, all your strength, is in union. All your danger is in discord. That is a powerful quote. All your strength is in unity. As I have been preparing for this message, I was, I'm was I'm reminded of the wedding ceremonies that I do. And I talk about unity at every wedding ceremony that I do, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to write a new, uh, I'll call it a a message for my wedding ceremonies that I want to use that literally simply the whole thing is, is only on the topic of unity because unity is so important. We can be those things as a church when we are unified as a church family. So, why does the church need to be unified, and why should I be a unifier at my church? Let me give you some reasons this morning. The first thing I want to say is this that God is a God of unity. Everything that we look at in Scripture, God shows us He is a God of unity. The Bible, now you're you may have brought your Bible in and carried it this morning. I, I man. If you see me uh, in worship or something, and I'm on my cell phone, more than likely I'm searching for a scripture. Okay, I'm I'm not playing a game on my phone during worship. Okay, uh, I am not I am not uh, posting on Facebook or trolling. Um, I it's <laughs> okay, but but it it's just easy, it's fast, and it and it lets me find what I'm looking for. Okay. But so this morning, my, my Bible takes the, the form of my phone. You can go to the UVersion Live app, the Bible app, and you can be following along on notes uh, for our, our sermon today, our message, our service. But everything that we see in God's Word, so I'm, I'm holding up my phone like I would have held up my Bible 20 years ago. Um, but everything that we read in it tells us that God is a God of unity his person, his creation, the issue of marriage, which I mentioned a second ago, relationships, and the church all reveal to us that God is a God of unity. Let me take you back into the into the scriptures just for a little bit, just to show you what I'm talking about. Even when you open up page 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there is Elohim. In the beginning, God. And the word Elohim is plural. Okay? And if we have any English teachers, you know that the subject and the verb have to match up. So if the subject is Plural, the verb also has to, to match that. But yet, this sounds like when we read it, well, God and, and created, that sounds like that. But, but God is literally, it's, it's referring to him in the plural sense. And when it comes to what he has done, it's in agreement. There is unity between God in the creation of the heavens and the earth. In creation, God was in unity with himself. The full Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we get to down into the creation story a little bit further, chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, <clears throat> it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Again, revealing that God is not... Not just singular, he is singular and plural. He is one God with three parts. And those three parts, those distinct parts, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are in unity. We jump into the New Testament, to the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it sounds very similar to the, to the beginning of Genesis, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. That word, Word, is the word Logos, and it's referring to Jesus, the Messiah, the living version of the spoken Word of God. He was with God. He was God. Without Him, nothing was created that was created. God was in agreement. He was in unity with Himself as the Godhead. I want you to understand that everything that God shows us about Himself, we see that there is unity in his ministry, when Jesus referred to himself as God, they literally went to pick up stones to stone him, to kill him, because he said, I and the Father are one. To simply say that he was in unity with God, they, they sought to kill him. Jesus spoke his approval over marriage and the marriage relationship during his ministry. Probably one of the most significant verses that we can talk about in the marriage covenant from Matthew 19.6. So, no, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. We say to a, 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 a bride and a groom from this point forward, you, are, you were two individuals, but now you have become one entity. You have become husband and wife. <clears throat> In our relationships, when they become fractured, Jesus gave us very specific steps. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, He said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. In other words, God is saying relationally, I want you to be unified. I want you to be in unity with one another because God is a God of unity. Within the context of the church, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that we should make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Robert L. Smith said something that I, I think you'll really appreciate. He said, Whatever God touches, He unites. Man, that's powerful. Whatever God touches, He unites. Why? Because it's His character. That's who He is. Whatever He touches, He unites. Whatever Satan touches, he divides and destroys. Whatever God creates, Satan tries to ruin. God created us as the church. Jesus Jesus created the church. He said, my church, I will build my church. And he created it to be unified, and everything that he touches, it comes into unity, but everything that God creates, Satan tries to destroy. So there are powers at work against the life of the church in our culture today that want to bring disunity, dysfunction, and destruction to the church. And we have to realize that we are fighting against those forces. Unity within the body of Christ is literally God's design for the church. And when those who are part of the church are not unified, the church is weaker as a whole. Unity is vital to the health of the church. Now I want to just share with you a couple of things this morning and the remainder of my time I want to share with you two things that will tear apart the fabric of unity within the church that I feel that as the church, we should avoid at all costs. The first one is this. It's the issue of gossip. Because gossip destroys unity. Not just in the church. Gossip destroys unity, Period. The impact of gossip is is really very clear. Proverbs says that it separates close friends. Proverbs also says that it, it keeps a quarrel going strongly. It literally adds fuel to the fire of an argument. Do you get that? Do you see what I'm saying there? And it also says, that, and I love this, in Proverbs, it says that gossip goes down like a choice morsel. Okay? What in the world does that mean? Okay? Last night on our, our way home um, from the Tough mutter, we stopped at one of my favorite plates places to eat uh, in Green Bay, and it's called Pizza Ranch. Okay? And I want to call it Chicken Ranch. Because I, their chicken is just so good, um, and and that's I mean after a day of doing what we did, that's that's a choice morsel going down. That just feels good. Um, that just that warm chicken hitting my belly. I mean it just feels so amazing. Okay, gossip is like a choice morsel going down. That 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 meal, man, that went right to my core. That just, I mean it, and it went right to my midsection here too, but but it went right to my, just right to the inside. That, That gossip goes literally into the core of our being. It changes us. It changes my perspective about the person I've just entertained gossip about. Are you with me? You cannot sit and listen to gossip without being changed. I don't care how hard you try, you will be changed. It, it's like a choice morsel. It goes to your innermost being and it changes things. It ends up at our core. Long, it's long-lasting. It continues arguments. There's it, it a loss of friendship. It changes our perspective. Man, the Bible places gossip in a really in serious company. In Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and, and forward, Paul says this. He said, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent uh, ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know, and this is what I want you to see here, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice. So we're looking, God-haters, okay? God-haters. I don't know about you, but that, that scares me. Someone being a God-hater. Murderers. We think to ourselves, man, that's, that's about as bad as it gets. And he lists, he lists gossips right there in that same segment of verses. I believe that there's a seriousness to the sin of gossip that we really need to acknowledge, that we really need to be cautious about. This is not a a group of believers, but they know what God says is right. They know that those who do these things are worthy of death, and yet they do them anyway, and they approve of those who do them. I believe that gossip is the literal antithesis of unity, and that God's very revelation of himself to us is unity. Unity. Excuse me. So literally, gossip is the antithesis of who God is. Gossip separates. God is a God of unity. And so we would have to say that, it, that literally they are diametrically opposed and cannot get together. There is no way that gossip and the unity of God can come together. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm talking about here? That's how serious this is in the life of an individual or in the life of a church. Paul feared for the Corinthian church. He was afraid that gossip had made its way in. You say, man, what's the big deal? A little gossip, never heard anything, did it? It's just words. Here's what James says about words, chapter 3 and verse 6. He said, the tongue also is a fire. It's a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The words that we say that are uttered from our mouths come from a tongue that it literally can be set on fire by hell. That's the destructive power that our words are capable of. Tom Rainer said this, few things can destroy the unity of a church like gossip. A unified church, he said, is a powerful church. Gossip tears apart that unity and renders a church powerless. What do we want our church to be like? How can we keep gossip from destroying the church? Let me give you two things very quickly. Number one, do not be the source. How do we respond? I'm just thinking as I'm preaching, somebody's going to say, man, there must be some terrible gossip going around this church for this guy to be preaching like this. I'm not preaching in response to gossip, okay? I've, I've had this for months that I'm going to preach this series, okay? So this is this is not because I heard a bit of gossip last week. But did you know? <laughs> how do we respond to the issue of gossip? Do we engage in it? Gossip is just casual conversation about people. And it's usually about Details that we really have no way of confirming. But I got it from the horse's mouth. What do we do with information like that? Do we pass it along? I love it when people say, you know, listen, this is just for you and me. This is for no one else. How many other people have you said that to? Okay, seriously. Be, be that bold. How many other people have you shared that? And I'm supposed to keep it to myself? And yet you've been sharing it around, but no, this is just, just for you and me. Just nobody else has to really know this. What do we do with that information? In Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this in the beginning of the chapter. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle and Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If we pass it along, we become the source. Are you with me? When we pass gossip along, I don't care if it's in your neighborhood, I don't care if it's your job, I don't care if it's your circle of friends or the church or the YMCA or whatever gym you go to, if you pass it along, you are now the source of the gossip and you can't blame it on the person that told you. You are now the source. Number 2, don't allow it to stand. Number 1, don't don't be a source. But number two, don't allow it to stand. So what should we do when someone starts to gossip to us about someone else? You know, Pastor, I I didn't want to say anything because I don't want to offend them. No, offend them, (laughs) that's okay. Listen, we're sensitive, you know. I don't want to say anything that will intentionally hurt them or offend them. So so I just let them say it. And I don't say anything back to them. See, the problem is that that gossip going down inside of you changes you too. Remember, I talked about that. So literally, you become changed. And if you keep hearing it and hearing it, you will not be able to maintain the correct perspective. And so we need to not allow it to stand. When someone begins to gossip, we can offer what the Scripture calls a gentle rebuke. You see, we have to come to a place where we acknowledge that gossip is a sin. That gossip is the antithesis of who God is. God is the God of unity. Gossip separates and destroys Those God and and gossip cannot intertwine. They're not moving closer to one another. Are you with me? They're not doing that. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. You got to watch it and I'm telling you when someone it comes to you and they begin to share some, some choice morsel with you, when they begin to share some gossip with you, the Bible says that we can gently restore that person but notice that he said it's not just anybody that should gently rebuke and gently restore. He's talking to those that they are living successfully by the Spirit of God, okay? If you're a gossip yourself and your neighbor calls you and gossips to you and you chew your neighbor out, what's your neighbor going to say to you? Well, even if they don't say to you, I guarantee you they'll call the next neighbor and they'll say it to them, but they're going to call you a hypocrite. We need to live by the Spirit. We need to be living by the Spirit. And when we do that, we're going to uh, be able to work on God's behalf and we're going to be able to bring instruction. We don't have to bring condemnation, but we also don't have to allow gossip to stand. We can say, you know what? I don't know this person or these details about this but I know this that gossip separates friends and I don't want to partake in that and I'd appreciate it if you didn't do that but we can bring gentle instruction the next thing that really brings a lot of devastation to the church is the issue of unforgiveness unforgiveness promotes disunity in the church Unity in the church will not happen if members have unforgiving hearts. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If there was, I would, I would want to give the, the award to Silver Creek, but I know it's not perfect. Okay? I know it. Because I'm the pastor, and this church can't be perfect and have an imperfect pastor. I know that I'm not perfect. I, I know that I'm not. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If, you're, if you are combing Marquette, if you are combing the Upper Peninsula, if you are combing the Midwest, attending church after church after church, looking for a perfect church, I want you to know that you are on a fruitless quest because there is no such thing as a perfect church and there is no such thing as a perfect person and when you get a bunch of imperfect people together you have an imperfect church that's just the reality of what it is the church and in the church unity is torn apart when the church family refuses to forgive one another See, why do I need to forgive somebody? I'll tell you, the the absolute most powerful reason to forgive is that Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Okay? I don't know about you, I want to be forgiven. Okay? I want to be forgiven. I've been too close to heaven one time already. Okay? I want to walk forgiven every day of my life. I want to be forgiven, and so I need to forgive. You say, yeah, but pastor, you don't have problems like that. You know what? You do not have any idea what pastors are really like, do you? Man, I've got things that I have to give to the Lord every day. Why? Because I can be unforgiving just like anyone else. I just want to encourage us with that. Literally, we need to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's Matthew 6. Look that up on your own time. Let me keep rolling here. When we refuse to forgive others, when they sin against others, we forfeit that forgiveness. Secondly, when we fail to forgive, specifically those in the church, we destroy unity. But if I forgive, Pastor, aren't I really just saying that it's okay that they did what they did? And they might go on to do that to someone else. Yes, they may. And no, you're not saying that what they did is okay. You're saying, I'm going to bring restoration to our relationship. I'm going to bring forgiveness so that there is unity in the body of Christ. Some people, the word unity scares them to death because they feel that unity means I've got to drink the Kool-Aid and I've got to sweep a lot of stuff under the rug. Okay? That's what they feel. I want you to understand that that is not healthy unity. We need to be able to forgive one another. It's important. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all sinners saved by grace. And as the recipients of this grace, we've been commanded as the church to forgive. Paul says this in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you over all these virtues. Put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Forgive as you've been forgiven. I know none of you are perfect. You've been forgiven. We need to forgive others when they sin against us. Above everything else, we should put on love. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, Jesus has given us an incredible gift of the church. God has revealed himself to us. As we look throughout scriptures, he has revealed himself to us and he's done so telling us that he's a God of unity. From creation forward... He's a God of unity, and he created the church to be an extension of his plan of the gospel into the world. But you and I can destroy that unity within the body of Christ, whether it's here at Silver Creek Church, whether it's at Harvey Baptist across the street, anywhere else, we can destroy that unity in the local church. When we become a source of gossip, when we allow gossip to stand, and when we're unforgiving. When someone hurts us, when someone offends us, and we say, you know what, I'm sorry, but I can't forgive that. We literally tear apart the fabric of the unity of the body of Christ. We have a choice. We can be a unifying force in our church or we can be someone that creates disunity in the church. I want to encourage you today because I believe that God is calling and I can't say the church because the church is people and this comes down to the individual person but I think God is calling us to say I will unify. God has given us the roadmap for relationships. God has given us the ability to restore relationships. He's told us how we can do that. He has set those things in motion for us. And there is not a church on the face of this planet that, that cannot have unity. We can, every church can have unity if we will commit ourselves to unify. And so as we close today... My prayer is that the Spirit of God, as Silver Creek Church continues to move forward in the future, that we will be a people who decide I will be a unifier.